0: You're listening to Red Nation Online.
1: We'll wow. raise that level
0: of energy. We'll play Toronto again. CJ Subhart. Four goals in six games against Toronto FC. It's a goal drenched in sporting superiority. It's Red Patch Boys' own Phil Tobin, and I'm Ian Clark, and we're live from the Football Factory and a return to the good old days of TFC bloodbaths as the Reds were decimated by sporting Kansas City 4-1. The question of whether TFC is a title contender is answered, at least for now, as they sit well behind KC and DC United. We run through the match, discuss where the Reds went wrong, who stood out, and with critical home games ahead, talk about support at BMO Field and ensuring the 12th man is there as the team heads down the final stretch. All this and more in the next 50 minutes on Eastside Stand-Up. Right, talk about nothing. Job, and then just roll <laughs> out you can just fade it up and no one'll know. And I was kinda of thinking I was thinking before I was like, are you am I gonna get you in trouble for coming out here instead of being at Shields Joe's tonight? No. We could call you Tom Philbin or something like that if if that uh, No, 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 I'm good. Okay, good. <laughs> See, just checking just checking that ahead of time. Uh, but here we are, live and direct, uh, Football Factory. And, uh, Phil, i got to say, I think I was uh, a little overly optimistic after these last two
1: games that
0: uh, I, was, I wasn't thinking 4-1 Four I wasn't
1: thinking 4-1 at all. I, I thought that at this point we'd be talking about maybe having three points in the bank against Kansas City at worst looking at a draw. Something competitive. Uh, I was really actually inspired by the last time we were there. And we went down a man and still had a very competitive showing. I was impressed with that. I was less impressed with maybe the last time that we had Kansas City at home. But uh, I thought that we had it in us on the road. Yeah, and I I was also
0: looking at even the games against Kansas City. Like you said, the, the one where we went down 10 men. But also, I mean, even though we lost at home, I thought there was a lot of signs in that game that we could carry over to this one that things the result that result didn't line up to the performance on the pitch.
1: For sure. I I, I thought again another game where we could have easily walked out with a single point for a draw if not three for being at home but um, tonight reared its ugly head like uh, I I think that we saw a team that maybe struggled an awful lot with what Kansas City had at home Um, the referee was a factor but I don't think the referee was entirely wrong with maybe some of his calls Uh, we're a little bit too harsh in the box and you know it's the same referee for both teams so I can't hide behind that yeah and I think maybe know again coming into this game the
0: one the one other thing that i sort of thought i don't know i just thought it would have been we would have been a little more assertive you know you heard you heard this game plan coming in that we are going to play on the counter and i understand you know you understand how teams play at home and how they play on the road and sometimes i'm a little befuddled how you sometimes see these kind of performances at home and especially when we played against kinsley at pmo the one thing that i highlighted in this game was that matchup with O'Duro against sinovich and i thought that was going to be a factor in this game actually that we would have seen them try to play that but that doesn't necessarily play into the counter-attacking game so it was kind of a head-scratcher for me that you know we were gonna at at kansas city in their park we were gonna lay back and try to do this counter.
1: to me it just didn't jive i agree in terms of tactical awareness and i think maybe that's one of My personal criticisms against uh, Ryan there is that I think that he preaches the counterattack a little bit too much, and I think we have a much more creative team that maybe that, you know, necessitates. But uh, for sure, I I certainly am a a little bit concerned about um, the fact that we kind of sat back. We waited for mistakes to happen in a park that maybe mistakes don't happen. Yeah. And we should have been aware of that. Like, I think rolling that team out, you have to to structure it. You have to position yourself to play into their weakness. And tonight, I think we played into their strength. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? If we just let's roll through this a bit,
0: like go through this game, because there's a lot of things that went on early on and some things that we've we can even touch on that we've mentioned already I mean right off the hop the, the, I think the big thing for the first half was obviously the two penalties and that's for the sure. one that's and you know what the one thing I wanted to kind of touch on is and I think this is this is a discussion you see when just watching football around the world that first penalty from Jackson where Phil Habert touched the ball and it's not going anywhere near goal yet the foul in the box on a play like that is a penalty. And I mean you, you see this, right, when when a player shimmies far to the outside when a keeper yep. comes out, you know there's no chance on goal, yet the contact is made and it's a penalty there, and, and that's a
1: bit of a debate sometimes, you see. And I thought that one, I don't know. I, I agree in the sense that was it a stone-cold penalty in terms of there was contact in the box? Yes, but I agree in the sense that was there any play directed that was dangerous towards the net in the box not really the, the player seemed to have already kicked the ball away and then was fouled in the box and is that a stone cold penalty it's tough especially as a supporter it's it's a tough call i get the objection to it but i i guess you have to respect the referee in terms of the idea that he's going to call that for us the other way yeah. in the box and you have to, as a player, to me, play your game. You have to get more position in the opponent's box to create those chances. And tonight, I wasn't impressed with that part of our game. Fair enough.
0: Not to gripe on the old, the last game against there, but I mean, we, it's there's a storyline developing. You know what I mean? There's there's a pattern of when Henry. Uh, bumped into that. I can't, I'm uh, that's the thing. one that
1: stands out to me. You know what I mean? Like, he yep. lifted it over.
0: We would have cleared that ball. But there, was, there was no goal-scoring chance
1: there, yet the foul was at contact. the edge of the box. Exactly, and it was on the edge of the box. I, I was going crazy at home watching that myself and just thinking the play was already done and the contact occurred. The ball was already to feet outside of the play, but yet the referee called the contact, and that was it. I... The funny thing is I don't see this in other leagues as much as maybe I see it in the MLS where it's a little more black and white and maybe a little bit of a learning curve for the referees. Yeah. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, though. They are learning, and even today in the EPL, I think we saw a lot of referee decisions that had us scratching our heads too. So it happens everywhere.
0: Yeah, and I, I made a note. It was, it was around the time of that penalty, though. It was actually right before you made the comment like you made the prediction, so to speak. I mean, I know we kind of said how this game was shaping up at that point, but you were saying you saw, you kind of saw this game
1: happening the way it was, where that if we're already on our heels at the 13th or 14th, it worries minute. me at the 13th or 14th minute that we're backed into a corner and defending that vigorously. It makes me wonder what's what the game's going to be like in the 74th minute, and yeah. that was my comment. And sadly, I think I was proven true by that. I, you know the. The game was pretty much sewn up for Kansas City at that point, and they're just having fun.
0: Yeah, and I think on on my part, showing some uh, a little, being a little naive, because I think I've maybe I'm I'm, so I'm like I'm at this point where I'm just like I'm teetering on both sides of being like I'm optimistic and starting to feel a little confident, and then it's I get slapped back into being
1: that pessimistic yeah where I was
0: because you know we've seen a few games this year where it looks like obviously like the Houston at home where it's just like well this game's done and they come back and
1: somehow make it happen and again the first game in Kansas City where they're down even look at Michael Bradley he's talking about any game that they want to have the three points in they're going to achieve them well then how do you explain tonight yeah you know it's Okay, Michael Bradley maybe had an off night, and X player had an off night. Like Jackson looked like he was having an off night. I don't know. Like it really raises that question about is it that easy in this league or is it not? No, I don't think it's as easy as maybe our players make it out to be when they make those comments.
0: No, I don't. I, I don't think so either. I mean, you see. You, I mean, obviously, there's the whole discussion
1: about you know parity in the league and and whatnot. <laughs> But um, this is where parody bites us in the ass. Yeah, you can have a good team and still be struggling to make well, that you playoff. Can,
0: you can have a team like Kansas City who doesn't have a six million dollar DP in their roster, and they can tool us like yeah. this against with someone with so many injuries over so many games. What was it the the that they, they've never had the same starting lineup yet this year? Something
1: like that. I, I was I was amazed hearing Vic Router and and. and greg sutton talking about the fact that um, we should just stop it right
0: there i was amazed listening to pick router end of quote
1: that that was uh we got the third string tonight but they did an admirable <laughs> job but they did pull out that statistic about about how much change there has been in kansas city's lineup and i i think that really does speak to the fact that when you look at how our team is made up after that la model of of having a good team with a bunch of amazing dps and then you look at the kansas city model of having consistent 23 players sitting on that bench or 22 players or whatever it is that are able to fill in substitute and even be able to go to the well and get a substitute keeper from the mls pool yeah and still not get absolutely exposed on that you know he was exposed a couple times tonight. And he still they still came out with their three points. Yeah. So credit to them.
0: Yeah, and that's something else I think, uh, as like a, a footnote on this game that I think maybe was a slight disappointment, right? That you had this 21, 21 year old keeper from the from the
1: pool. Yeah.
0: I don't think we took advantage I, I don't think yeah, we took advantage we didn't of I mean, exploit we, were, it. we were saying or in the first half it was like, you know, I would have expected from anywhere taking shots. Like, we saw duro Now, of course, duro had a great assist, but there was a few other times where Duro was cutting in on the wing, and it's just like, just unleash it. See what this yeah. kid has. We didn't even test, really test him.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, I think when we were last in Kansas City, they had a hobbled back line. Mm-hmm. We were down a man, and we still pressed forward knowing that we could probably creatively make chances around their deficiencies, whereas right now, you know, tonight's game... We didn't do that. We didn't really exploit the fact that they had a keeper that doesn't know how to play with his back line. We didn't, you know, we saw him caught out on a corner. We saw him caught out in a couple plays, but we didn't expose him. Right. And just to, to
0: connect those dots and, like, get through that first half, I mean, obviously there's two penalties that happen, and it's, I don't know how much you can you know, give Dom Dwyer a pat on the back, I mean, scoring two penalties, and that that was another thing, too, where he hadn't scored in five games, so, but the the really interesting stat on him, though, is now he's got 10 goals, 10 of his 16 goals are against Montreal and Toronto. Canadian opposition. Yes, well, six against Montreal. Sure. You know, if you're in the same conference as Montreal, I'm playing, I think, do we all play three games against each other in per conference? I'm sure a few people have a good goal tally against Montreal yeah. this season. That's kind of what I'm, we should what have I'm getting at. But, you know, that play was a bit of a disappointment because the, I thought the first, we, we both kind of agree, the first penalty was slightly dubious. Yep. And the second one, the ball deflects off the referee and lands on the feet. And, and Henry... You know what are you gonna do? You know he, the the
1: timing. It was it happened like that, and he went in wrong. And I was like, you I know expect what? more suspensions or fines, or actually, I guess fines coming up for Toronto FC comments post game. I, I think that Nelson's body language. I love it when the mic is on. Is.
0: When you can pick up the mic from the sideline, clearly, and it's like, yeah. And the guy in the, was
1: the fourth official there who looked like he was maybe 18. Yeah, he's, he's what just is like, he gonna do? What am I gonna say? That referee made the call, like, and, and it's right. You know, it, what can he do? And
0: and I wonder if Nelson said to himself. I'm yeah, I'm swearing at this kid. Like, what is what is he gonna
1: do? <laughs> well, I know originally I can tell you, when when Ryan first came into the league, everybody remarked upon the fact that he sat there and he called the referees very, very politely. He would say, "Excuse me, Mr. Referee," and he would say you know, I have an objection and whatnot. And he would he would. speak oh, he would, so politely from the sidelines. And then I think about halfway through the season, he was just cursing at the ref. It was just like every MLS re- uh, uh, head coach that we've had so far, he just fell right into that's that. That's learning curve right yeah. there, being, <laughs> yeah, uh, being an MLS head, head coach
0: dealing with these referees. Uh, and then the last thing heading on this half, and I think is a is a good little bit of a, like a sidebar there, is of course the connection between oh, Oduron and Gilberto and I think that you know at, at one point I was like, you know what, one nil and a half, I wouldn't have been you're still in yeah. it. Two nil, I'm worried. And then we, we get one back. We get the one that right and it changes, the, changes the game, right? So yep. and the thing of course is everyone now is everyone's talking Gilberto. That's three goals in three games. And what do we what do we say about this? I mean I we were flipping through Twitter at halftime and now everyone everyone's uh, I'm seeing a lot of told you so's a lot yeah. of told you so's, and and uh, I, I, you know, I kind of look at it like this. It's like there's two things. There's two things we knew about Gilberto, I, I say, or two things I'll comment about him coming in here was that he's only had one great scoring st- scoring spell in his career, which was last year with Portuguesa, yeah. right? And it started about now, and it ended at the end of September, and then he went cold for the end of the season there. Now, will that happen again? We'll see. We'll see how this happens. But the other thing I would add for that spell and whatever was of course, you know, you're going on loan to a club and there's an adjustment period and he yeah. never got to continue that to see if this season at Portuguesa or if he went back to Internacional if he turned into a formidable striker in Brazil. Yeah. So as much as I'm offering a tidbit of criticism, not necessarily criticism, but just kind of a head, like more of like a heads up saying, hey look, he's a streaky striker. Yeah. He had a, a one window before where he did it and it looks like he's finding that now. I think we need to be mindful that this is his short history as well as, okay, now we have DK, there's Defoe, there's more. We have pieces to, to work around that. Yeah. And that if he goes cold again, let's not switch off and say this was a shit transfer. Right? And and sort of go back and forth on it
1: because that's what I, I think, would... I think Gilberto, you, you're right in terms of pointing out you know, his history there. But I've seen great effort from him. And that's one thing that I, it doesn't matter to me about this designated player or a regular player moniker as much because really it's just how much does it count against the cap? And if you told me that Gilberto costs us 300x thousand against the cap and looking at his effort, I'm pretty pleased with what kind of value we're getting back for our money in that sense. Yeah, um, He's justified his roster spot. Is it someone that maybe we could leverage the position better? out of in terms of that designated player spot, that that extra moniker on them, maybe, you know, and I think that that's certainly an end of season debate to have. Um, he came here with, a, with the goal to kind of challenge maybe the, the idea that he is the streaky striker. He certainly had big goals and it's tough changing to North America life from maybe Brazilian life or whatever you know I'll give him the space to grow but from what I've seen I've seen nothing negative about his effort yeah. so I'm a fan of his will he stick around I don't know you know that, that's that's gonna be that's football yeah but I, I, I like what I see and I was really happy to see him score the goal tonight you know that was a, a timely goal back and it was heel back heel like man the guy has some skills
0: and then to just to highlight again yeah. Dominic Oduro another pizza great player star, right loves pizza loves I like him. Right, John's I like him right I like him right away yeah guy loves pizza he tweets he tweets Tweets pictures of him getting pizza if I remember yeah I like he him. does okay I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that and uh, you know the thing about Oduro is like sometimes you know there's moments of frustration but I think within within ML- like, I like go- I really like guys who are kind of like I call them like MLS lifers yeah Right, and they perform at that level where it's just like they have great games, and they have more, you know, you know that five, you know, the seven, however you want to rate guys, like around, you know, average and just above, more of those than bad games. Yeah, and that's kind of the way I see him. And you can you can say things about technique or whatever, but I mean he's got great pace and he's making things
1: happen. Yep. Well, all right. I look at him when when we got him. I thought here's a player that I actually know out of the MLS because I don't like playing him. When he comes to our ground or we are away at a team that he's playing on, I don't like seeing him on the pitch. He's a player that stands out to me. And the fact that Bezbachenko went out and made a deal for Ray to get him and then especially seeing how Ray had to depart not only the team but the league. And they, they were saying that this was an issue that was... Not that was still gonna happen if he was on Toronto FC. He was gonna leave. What a great piece of work that yeah. was, you know what I mean? Like that that was one where we won it. And nothing against Ray. I, I, I don't know what his situation is. But we really came out on the on the winning end of that deal. Uh, hindsight even more so. So yeah. I I like him. He's maybe has his games where he disappears or isn't visible. But uh, I find that he's a pretty consistent MLS for lifer kind of guy.
0: Yeah, like and you know what? I saw I saw posters when he got, you know, he, he came out, and there was a little bit of criticism. But again, I circle back to the start and the strategy and tactics of the game, and I would have thought, I mean, he did have some good chances in the first half, obviously, and a few other in the second half. But I, I would have, I would have made Worked this, I would, wing. I would have made this his game, yeah. right? And I would have, I would have kept pushing that to see if we could find ways to really make that right side of the pitch uncomfortable for Sinovic and trying to pull a second defender in. Like I in I did a, a pregame and I said, that's the opportunity, man. Like it, and I always throw boxing analogies where it's like you give the body shot, so the guy drops his hands. Yeah. And there's and then you find opportunities. You're laying traps and I I didn't see it. So it makes uh, you wonder
1: about scouting, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It really does. I it's something in the MLS that I'm surprised that there's not more investment in from any team standpoint because for years it's been something i've dogged on it that man we should be analyzing opponents we should be looking at games where we've had success and that success isn't goals necessarily or yeah. wins even sure success is beating a guy down a wing yeah or exposing a, a backliner for having a weakness yeah and when you go into a series like this where we have Nine points on the table against a divisional rival, if you will. Those little details, man. You, What do we have all these assistant coaches for at Toronto FC? Because I look down that bench, and sometimes there's more assistant coaches than there are players. <laughs> so who's watching this? Because the fans are. We're watching. Yeah. And we see this stuff. It's a great point. It's a
0: great point. Like I think, I think of that across. <laughs> I think of it across Canada. Like I pulled it up. <laughs> I even pulled the national team and stuff like that, where you just like, you, know, you hear stories of, especially in Toronto, uh, and I, you know, I don't want to draw hockey into it too much, but like where players would leave and they would show up at other clubs and they would come to their, into a match, there'd be a dossier
1: waiting for them, and they're like, what's what's this all about, yeah. right? And and it's just, where are the tapes? Where's the analysis? Where is the the forward thinking? It may be happening. I don't know. I, sure. I have no authority in that realm. But I know at certain points with our own team, with Toronto FC, there's been that complaint. That that kind of forward thinking, despite being talked about, hasn't actually existed. Or when ex-head coach came in, all of a sudden the video guy no longer worked there. Stuff like that. So, mm. You have to wonder. Yeah. Where is that analysis? It's professional sports. We're not saying go and them practicing or something like that and try and find out a set play but there should be a game to game they expect our hard-earned money to renew season's tickets time after time they should be living up to their end for their entertainment you know and that's one thing that I hate that word Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment but it's entertainment but it's still serious to the fans and they have to take ownership of that end of that word
0: mm.
1: and kind of connecting that thought
0: Trying my best. If we go into the second half, you know, there is one thing that we could say is about, you know, this matchup between Toronto and, and Kansas City is that I think, I thought, you know, we mentioned O'Dura, we also mentioned Gilberto, is that he has the pace and open field to get behind that back line. And this, I thought, could we put this down as this was the game changing moment? You know, 1v1, we see Gilberto going in there, and maybe we should give more credit to this. The, that keeper is that he saved that I think he made you could yeah. make a case that he saved that game for them yep. because if Gibraltar scores that goal you're at 2-2 two, two. who yep. knows where it goes from at, there at that point yeah you don't know right but uh, we do know yes. <laughs> we do know where it goes we from have there. that benefit yes. we know it. it's like uh, Phil you disappeared for a while there, you had yeah. you had too many um, Michelob Ultras, and uh, while you were working gone, them hard, yeah. It, and you know what? This is this is the end of the game because it's off two corners. Two corners sealed this game for us. If we summarize, two penalties, two corners. Now I don't know immediately we can draw for that, but I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, the corner comes to Suni Sad, you know, one one touch, and he slams it in short side. Do you lay that on Bendik for not reacting quick enough? I'm not sure. And then, of course, you have CJ Sapong, where they slide this ball on through, and it's like everyone's watching it, and you have three yeah. Kansas City guys on the far post with Daniel Henry further further back than them, right? He's and he's guarding the farthest post totally with three guys in front of him.
1: Yeah. You shrug your shoulders at that and say, What do you do? Like, And this is the thing, right, that drives me crazy about this team, is that... We don't score on the corners. Like I think last week's game was the first corner that we scored this season. And the corners and set pieces are the bad team's way to be good. Yeah. And good teams get better. Yeah. And it's one area of the game that, again, not to harp on the coaching or the coaching staff, but that is easy stuff to coach. You bring those guys in, you do mark, man, in the box, zonal, whatever you want to do, it's easy to replicate. It's school yard stuff when it comes to soccer or football or whatever we want to call it. But those are the basics of the game. Real Salt Lake do them really well and get championships off of that. Kansas City took us to school tonight, showing us that corners, set pieces, are the weight of the game?
0: Yeah, <laughs> and that you know that reminds me of uh, t- 2010 when our set piece set piece taker was Nick LaBrocka. and I just like you know when you look at the roster team. I mean, we obviously saw one when D- but we
1: always have the Chicago goal. Come on,
0: yeah, that was yeah, where he caught the wind and he got that. Upper yeah, exactly, corner. exactly. He caught the wind. That's the only caught way the that, that, that a Nick Labrocca set piece specialist resulted in anything worthwhile but I mean I'm just I'm adding on to the point saying but uh, you're right like it's a, it's an opportunity right these are opportunities yeah. and,
1: and, we, and we spend it, them cheaply and we kind and of that's the it, thing like like Michael Bradley has the ability to deliver a, a fantastic set piece we've seen it, Gilberto you know set piece again you know tonight we had Michael Bradley who I think was having an off night as far as set pieces but yet he kept on taking them you know the rest of the team isn't challenging you know, we saw Gilberto and, and Defoe go at it that one time, and Gilberto completely, you know, for his first yeah. goal, embarrasses the entire team in terms of, yeah, we have this asset sitting there, and he's not doing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering it's what like, wow. what
0: tonight happened, where it's just like, uh, where Gilberto's willing to do that to Defoe, but he wouldn't do it to Bradley. To Bradley, right? yeah. Or why it's never, it never happened like that. It's like... Makes mm. you wonder, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Because, I mean, that's, we said that. We said... I think, well, maybe they'll let Jabril have, have a crack at this. I mean, from 20 to twenty what, 25 yards out, we and, and when you saw that goal, if I was a defender, I wouldn't want to be in the way of that shot. Nope. Interesting that we've yet to see him sort of get a, a real opportunity to to try to duplicate that. And then, of course, I mean, we, we went through the last two goals for Kansas City, but, I there was mean. there's a chance as well for us.
1: I know you're going there.
0: Yeah, and it's we've made the joke here is uh, we always say uh, the 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 challenge we throw out to people is find the Brazilian on Toronto I bet you can not I bet you can't. <laughs> I bet you can't because Jackson weaves his way in, and it's like. But that was the criticism when we were we were talking. We we said there are good things about him, yep. right? He He's,
1: did he did ninety percent of the job right was that last 10% about passing the ball. Yeah. That, wow. Like, he had two two guys in red behind defenders Mm -hmm. with a keeper playing him. To me, I'm just like, you know what? You can put the ball to feet at that point and really expose, again, the keeper. Or you can try and take an impossible shot where the keeper is just absolutely... But he did almost neither. And that was—I mean, yeah—he was, he almost got caught thinking about it too much.
0: And there, of course, the criticism they leveled was that almost like a lack of awareness, or the or his, his timing is always off. That's yeah. maybe what I would say in terms of when he's supposed to make the pass, right? Like we've seen him hold on to the ball that one extra half count to to release yeah. Defoe, and tonight we saw that one extra half count where like Asorio was right there. Yeah. That if he did it half a second sooner and slid it across quicker, it was an open net.
1: Yeah, Osorio was looking at nothing. Like, like, like nothing stopping him from that, putting that it in. The
0: hands pointing to the feet. And then people yeah. were like, give me the ball. And it was like, no. It's not happening. So... You know, the thing that, as we kind of, like, roll out of this game,
1: I mean, I guess that we should... uh... I will give out a shout-out to DK for actually getting into the game and recovering from his Achilles tear. And I couldn't be happier for a guy. Um, I really hope that he excels wearing the Toronto FC uniform, and I think he's a fantastic guy, and I was happy to see him back on the pitch.
0: I like him a lot.
1: I I like him a lot. And it's,
0: like, it's... Now it's like uh, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth because obviously, like, I've, I've said things about Gilberto in one sense, but then I, I flip back to DK and I sort of say, like, there's more to a striker than necessarily just being a goal scorer. And I think some people level up criticism of DK. Yeah. Is that, like, his, his finishing rate, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but that's not, I don't see that as his role. I see that as someone who, I think the one game I remember from last year was against Away to Philadelphia, where it was, like, he was double team like people were double teaming him and he was out muscling yeah. both those players.
1: He's got a lot of tenacity, right? He is like Darcy Tucker up there in yeah. terms of like hockey, you know. Like the, the kind of guy that's gonna fight for every inch of ground that he gets and not complain about getting knocked down or you know, he embodies I think in a lot of ways what we like about, you know, strikers like, like Danny Dicchio and things like that. That they're just gonna go to work and do their job and fight and not make an excuse about it. And yeah. I love that about him. I, 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 that was the one thing that I was taken with last year watching him play as well. It's just, his hard work and his work ethic. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: I love it. And I think that style, in this league at least, creates chances. Yeah, right? It's like, a physical
1: and, league and you have to play physical and you can't let the physicality of it, you can't dive, you can't You can't wallow in it. You have to get back up and, and get on the ball and get into the play. Yeah,
0: and you I know, think
1: that... For me that was and maybe uh, that's what Gilberto does too much. Is he goes down he looks for it or expects it and the referees certainly aren't giving it to him. Mm-hmm. That's very clear to me this year is that maybe Gilberto's a little bit too soft in that regard and I know the team's trying to harden him on that. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think it's something you just click your fingers.
0: Let's draw a point from Gilberto. I mean like we all know the story of Neymar, and a lot of people would say it's gonna be a shock for you coming to uh, Spain in, in European football because you get the calls in Brazil, like Brazil, yeah. stra- like stra- they get those calls in Brazil that in a lot of countries you don't get, and I think that's probably uh, something that he's starting to figure out, or he's gonna, uh, he's figuring
1: out. And I think Spain is pretty easy league. Yeah, no that goes. kidding. Like if you put him in the EPL, it's all different. If you put him in the SPL, mm-hmm. it's. I think the SPL is the closest to the MLS from the, the games that I've seen in terms of the physicality and the, the physical demands and, and, and whatnot that I see out of the game. I, I find the SPL, if I were an MLS scout, I would be looking to the SPL for a huh. lot of clubs and going, guess what? These players aren't going to complain if they get knocked down. They're going to get back up and pick up their teeth and, and kick the ball. Huh. You know, that's, that's the way it goes. But it's yep. something that I've just noticed over the years. And then uh,
0: if we cycle out of this game, I think the only thing, or the last little kind of touch on in terms of, the, you know, where we're sitting, you know, I, it's, you know, I think we've carried this uh, surprisingly relatively uh, measured mm-hmm. <laughs> based on the result, because I said, there was a point where right at the end where I was like, if we lose 5-1, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: 4-1's not great, obviously, and then the fun 4-1's not, an embarrassment. And the irony is that we were laughing at LA losing 4-1 to Columbus, yeah. It is rough to deal with. A 5-1 would have almost been unbearable.
1: But it's TFC. We're seven years in. Yeah, we should be used to it, right? We're kind of used to it. Unfortunately, it's just kind of like a bodily function at this point. When, when we go out and we blow out a game like this, it's just, I, I hate it because I turned to one of my guys the last time we lost at home. And it was a game that maybe we should have drawn. Maybe, you know, I agree with your analysis there. And we looked at each other and said, "Ah, it was a game we we're gonna lose. It was pre-written off in our mind. You know, we're looking at the table and going, okay, so we dropped three points.' Yeah. I, I admit, I was hopeful tonight for three points or at least a draw. But yeah, to get blown out. I don't know. I guess, I guess it would hurt more maybe if it was two-one. Right. And then, oh, but yeah. that's and that's where I'm. That's and been on a referee's on. decision. You know what I mean? Or yeah. on a penalty call that came off a wrap.
0: Yeah. Because this is where it sits. Is uh, you know, I had the thought I was like I said I was starting I was teetering on the side I was like maybe we're a top team, but no, we're a third place team. And sort of like what does that mean? Because again, of course, we saw two road games. We just came into this one, you know, beating Montreal away, which is, as shit as they are, I still had my question marks. And then after
1: the Voyager's Cup,
0: yeah, and then winning in and then winning in Columbus. So it's I'm I still have this like lingering I yeah, go what are we where are we where do we sit you know what needs to happen is it just a matter of when we if everyone's available we're 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 a top top team but, but I don't think that's realistic in this league cuz everyone has to deal with it right everyone injuries for everybody right um but you know, this, as the this season rolls, I mean, we have two, we have a lot of home games coming up. I think we have three in a row, if I'm not mistaken, coming up. And uh, we at least,
1: uh, yeah, I think it's three. I think it's uh, Chicago. New England. New England, and then Philadelphia. Yeah. And then Philadelphia away, in the same week. You're right. Away and then home. I
0: think we have a yeah, midweek game. Yeah, 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 it's something like that, yeah. Which is, That's. I mean, if you want to talk about potential there, I think that Philadelphia
1: week determines where we are, mm-hmm. to me. I think yeah. it, it, it's a team that is going to play us hard, they always do, and we have all the animosity over Michael Bradley versus uh, Maurice Adu from the preseason. There's just lots of baggage in this, and then we look at the way teams are strengthening as well for the run-in. You know, tonight, or yesterday, we learned that Robert Earnshaw is too... <laughs> yeah, no kidding! ...like Chicago, which is interesting. I think he's a streaky player. Mm-hmm. And then there's still Jermaine Jones talk for Chicago that I'm reading about tonight. So who knows? Like, are Chicago going to go out and beef up now that they've been knocked out of the U.S. Cup? And, you know, uh, what is Frank Yallop going to do? He's a competent coach, in my opinion. Yeah. So he knows the MLS. He knows how to motivate a team. Chicago are never easy. I'm not looking forward to. I, I, there's no easy points in the MLS. Yeah. So with that being said, I mean we're almost
0: hitting that the the final stretch, and with these home games coming up, and especially against Chicago, and these are games that I don't think there's. It's. I mean, obviously cliche in terms of saying must win, but you know we have we have to separate ourselves from fourth and fifth place because we have games in hand. Yep. Which is critical. And then you just never know when Kansas City or D.C. might slip along the way. I mean, we've, we've seen this in years past. Yeah. So the opportunity is there. And I'm leading into, of course, these home games and how important it is the win. And, you know, why this podcast between you and I is happening tonight is, of course, because it started from the last game against Kansas City at home. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned it to you before we started where, you know, we had a segment where it wasn't planned, it was something where as we were going it kind of like dawned on me where I thought to myself, you know, this, <laughs> you know, and, and you have to excuse me if uh, over seven years there haven't been a lot of league tilts that have between, you know, a top team tilt from Toronto, C in terms of important games like this, where I thought, hey, wait a second, this was a huge game. And I mean, tonight was a huge game and these upcoming games are huge games, especially home ones. And thinking in the past of some just, there's just games that just sort of, like, awesome. I get a bit verklempt thinking of the <laughs> su- type of support we had that I don't think were at the level of what, in terms of importance. Yeah. So, you know, we did this segment where we question, we said, we said, we brought that up and of course made the observation against Kansas City that maybe it just was, uh, you know, the, the stadium gets infected by the South End, yeah. I find. I right. Agree that passion is contagious and and it wasn't meant to say like what are you guys doing like mm, you know I'm sitting here and I want to see something happening Uh, it's it's generally out of just concern where it's like I know that what the stadium is like when that area of the of the stadium in this in the stands is at its best and this team is finally at a point where it's kind of starting to deliver on what we've never had on the field but yeah. we always had Kind of That sort of support For some pretty poor products Yeah So I'm, I'm Without asking a question I'm just kind of like Opening the floor To kind of talk about Your thoughts on that And where The South End is standing Because obviously There's there's different supporters groups Yeah From your thoughts on that and of course Specifically with Red Patch Boys
1: Yeah I can only speak to the Red Patch Boys I'm, I'm always supportive Of all the other groups in, in the South End And in the North End You know uh, Kings of the North whatnot in 109 and we have a little red patch contingent in 110 and you know 111 as well we have a lot of members in there I do think that to be honest like the support is improving in the supportive sections I think that we're seeing a lot of noise being made but I do also agree with the point that it's pretty quiet in the south and around the stadium in general I think there was a buzz that generates out of when you put 20,000 people together and they all kind of want to push towards that that goal together. And right now, it's pretty quiet. You know, like the the shouting's happening, but it's the shouting back. You know, we need to figure out a way to get those players inspired from the entire stadium, not just from a group or a single group or a, a, a union of groups making that noise has to happen with all of us as season's ticket holders as single game day experiences whatever we have to work at becoming better at supporting that team vocally visually whatever it is and i know that as a group like we're going to try and do our part in the future we have some projects coming up to try and help people understand the chance because it's intimidating but I think that we're a pretty accessible group in general. And all the groups, from my experience, have been very accessible. They're friendly, they're welcoming. I don't think you found any real static in terms of accessing me or anything like that. And I treat most people the same. Like it's, We're just trying to bring people along and have a lot of fun, because we love it. You know, It doesn't predicate that you have to be the best team in the league or even the worst. We're gonna support them no matter what. So have you
0: guys talked about, thought about, or is there something in place like in terms of maybe like open channels between yourself and other supporter groups to how do we get that level of support, let's say for starters, across the South End? Do you look at it as like, okay, we're Red Patch Boys, we're going to do what we do. And now, if that infects the rest, then it does. Or is there actually, is there actually sort of like... Uh, An initiative in place in any ways to say hey like you guys over here you guys over here We should be doing this. Let's try to get at least uh, Let's get this spreading further or is it more just like look We're taking care of what we know we can do and the the people that we can influence It's easy to
1: bunker down and say that we're doing what we're supposed to do, which is in essence, you know, the cop-out that we can all kind of take, take back and say. But uh, uh, we do actually work well together within the groups. Um, the capo stands are con- constantly in communication with one another. We're trying to exchange chance, and we also listen. The difficult part is, you know, from personal experience, seeing the capos work, and it's not a skill set that I possess. It is a very specific skill set. For those guys to get up on a field uh, up on a stand and turn their back to the pitch and then read the crowd but what they do is try and take organic chants that maybe are occurring in the crowd and then translate them into something that spreads because it may be timely and may be you know and that's where that connection exists it's not really something that we go and we set our watches to and we go, aside from the Diccio or, you know, there's certain, certain maybe TFC claps or, or when the Reds come marching in. There are certain chance we do at certain times, you know, at the beginning of a, of a half or whatever, but typically look at what's going on around us or what's going on on the field. The cap will turn his back and look at it and go, eh, wait. We're sitting there in the front row, I'm going to talk to the capitol and say, hey, look, you know, cut that chant, let's do this. And we're also looking over at sector, we're also looking over at, at 114, we're looking at 111, we're looking at 110, we're looking at 109. And we're looking at these groups and saying, you know, what works? Problem is, sound doesn't travel well in an open stadium like that, and I think that's why we're all really eager to see the plan for the roof, you know, because I think that that's going to help spread the south end kind of, you know, volume and and passion that we're all looking for. Because when I look at my my actual season's tickets are in 115. When I look back, still the same people in 115 that I had day one to Mm. now. Those people know what they're watching. They're the most educated football supporters yeah. that I know and they've taught me a lot about the game. And I know that when they can be on board, when they can hear it, when they can participate in it and it's accessible, they're going to be there. Yeah. And they and they'll be there, you know what? I, I think everybody's kinda it's like going to a concert. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to like a really heavy guitar concert, but I remember seeing Joe Satriani when I was a kid and I I saw him play and I couldn't believe it, but everybody sat in their seats and watched him play. And at a certain point, Joe just said, let's do it. And then the place went mental because we all wanted to watch him perform. And then when he was done performing, we wanted to celebrate the performance. And I think that we're into that point in the season where as a fan base, we need to actually believe and encourage this team to get over this night, and to get on to beating Chicago and get on to beating these teams that are sitting there for the three points and let's take it and make sure that we're a powerhouse in the MLS. So what do you think needs to happen then? Or what is your your sense then from
0: where you are then in the stadium of like where it's sitting to kind of get there? Where, you know, are you hearing people kind of like, I don't, was it a surprise when you heard that that was the observation that we had of the way oh, that no, I, I
1: think we've all asked ourselves as supporters in our heads what's going on why is it quiet you know at, at first I think we, we asked ourselves is there just an influx of new people that maybe don't know the chance and don't know that this is what occurs and that's part of it for sure but we should be welcoming those people and showing them guess what this is what we do at a Toronto FC game you're gonna go home without a voice. But the good thing is, is that most of the games are on Saturday, so you're gonna be okay to go to work on Monday. You know, th- that's that's it. You know, have a beer, whatever, enjoy yourself, but be supportive of the team. Join in a chant if you hear something fun. Become a part of it if you feel something that invokes your passion. Yell, you know, do whatever. I, it doesn't have to be positive, you know. It's just engagement, right? What's the engagement level? And I think. Kind of dropped in that stadium. I, I don't know. it's people waiting to see goals? It was waiting to see Jermaine Defoe and Michael Bradley go out there and put on a two-man show and and get us yeah, somehow more than three points. Because
0: that's what I'm that's what I'm wondering. Like, does it just is it going to be the first playoff game? Or is it going to be a five-game... I'm before that? Yeah, like, is it going to be... It's
1: got to be the lead-in to me.
0: Is it going to be a five-game winning streak, yeah. right? Something like that where it's just like the team catches fire. Like we've seen the Jays do in, in the, at the start of the season for them. It And that's maybe... Let me say that, is that, you know, it's, it still doesn't feel like since... I don't know what year I can go back to when they had the you know Fortress BMO. There was a little period where it was like, yeah, you know, this team was actually, like, formidable when we yeah. played at home. And even though this year we've got these great players, I mean, we've dropped three points at home more than I would have cared to for a team that should be probably as good as we are. And maybe, like, that's where it starts. And when you look at really good, really good MLS teams, you know, I look back to Real Salt Lake when, I think it was the season before they won the MLS Cup. When they're starting to turn around, they didn't have a great record, but they only have one loss at home. Yeah, I think they were 10, 10 and ten, or something like that, in two thousand eight. But they the only lost yeah. one at home, and that, to me, it was like that's always stuck in my head as the indicator, as what yeah. shows a team is starting to turn the corner. Is that they really the home? Not form.
1: to make excuses, but this year has been extremely challenging as far as World Cups, and then we look at the under twenty women's World Cup right now, that which is basically sealed their home away from us. Those are two massive obstacles that happen and they happen for all the teams, like like especially the regular World Cup. Um, and then the women's under twenty World Cup has happened and that's sealed us off from our home. It's hard. You know, it definitely impacts when you have when you look at the schedule and you got like three weeks or nothing from your local and then you you have to go, you know, in a World Cup, maybe not supporting Canada, supporting whatever, just watching football, whatever the situation may be. But it's difficult to change those gears, and I think it's difficult for the players, and it's difficult for the fans. Mm -hmm. And that's an obstacle I look forward to being behind us. But, you know, realistically, again, looking ahead next year, we have Pan Am games. We have stadium upgrades. We have all these asterisks and conditions on us playing at BMO. Right. And then the CNE, and then the Indy, or, you know, there's a lot of obstacles to just be a fan of this team because of where the stadium is that's why I laughed so much about the Argos possibly moving in or whatever I'm like have you guys even tried to get to this stadium as a regular fan like compared to the Sky Dome just getting off a subway and walking into this cavernous 50,000 seat dome okay but getting out to that place can have its challenges and just accessing it yeah. yeah it's tough it's tough for all the fans it, it's you know it's hard to have passion when you have to spend four hours to commute in right um sort of because
0: we're we've moved along we've, this podcast is like chugging away here um you know kind of like two just two quick things to like stay on the topic of obviously support and whatnot that i was thinking of in terms of the future and, and pushing things along that i think it's like is there discussions either within your group or other groups Of the vision of support at BMO in terms of like you know let's let's try to get this done this year let's try to be here in five years let's try to be here in ten years and is there any discussion with the front office about what kind of support either they want to see or that you want them to believe in (laughs) you know what I mean yeah yeah I know the kind of support I want they probably don't want and maybe that's might be the same thing with you guys, and how you're navigating that, and maybe trying to convince them that trust me, where I sat uh, used to be organically a standing section, and then in 2009, I'm sure a lot yeah. of us, a lot of us who are in the know know that there was a bit of a lockdown, saying like, no, no, there's these are the specific areas, yeah. and don't even try it, and uh, like my thoughts always then were, why would you do that? Why would you like? Yeah. This this place could have been the most intimidating stadium in all of MLS, and you've kind of like... They had know, a
1: Portland, and they decided to... They've cut off yeah. limbs
0: and whatnot, and and really crippled what could have been one of the best places in, in the league, and like, of course challenged a place like that. I may have digressed, but I wanted, again, Ooh, to circle back point. to the, the point of, is there discussions about a greater vision for support, at least with Red Patch Boys, or amongst... The supporters groups yeah. and and then the, and then dealing with the front office on that
1: we actually get together with the front office to talk about that um where we have regular monthly meetings or meetings with regularity uh to discuss issues that are maybe preventative like preventing us from supporting well you know so we can have a dialogue with them and say hey look we see this that's not good for us you know and, and We had a discussion about bringing smoke bombs and things like that, you know, that was something that we decided as groups, you know, we all talked about it, we went to these meetings and we said, what are your thoughts on this? They came back and they said, we can talk about it, but it's going to be under certain conditions and certain this, and we're like, okay, well, we can accept those conditions and move forward. For sure we're looking at a long-term plan, like that's, you know, we want to have a group in Red Patch Boys that we hand over to our kids. That's, that's the ultimate goal, because that's going to be the same goal for our kids' kids, you know what I mean? Like, it's just going to keep on going. We're going to support Toronto FC, and we're going to support it with all of the other groups and be accepting and embracing of them. And that's, that's basically the bottom line. You know, we all have pretty good communication. There's something that a group wants to do. They bring it to the table, we all examine it if it's something that goes outside of the boundaries of the group, where it's maybe an ambitious goal or, or whatnot, and we discuss it between groups. Very civilly, very openly, very understandingly, because we all want the same thing. We want that place to be as loud and proud as possible for the team that we have on the pitch.
0: So then, what about your thoughts then? Like, let's talk about, I mean, we've, I guess we've kind of touched on some thoughts of what we think about where the support can go this year, but... Do you have like a like when you say let's you know let's finish this year trying to get support like this, and yeah. then let's look at trying to get this support to this in five years? Like, what are your yeah, what do you think about that?
1: We're obviously examining um, opportunities within the stadium expansion, you know, BMO two mm-hmm. in terms of maybe having rigging or things like that to to enhance displays. Yeah, that'd be awesome, you know, because there's going to be a roof, and we watch other groups and they're using a roof and hoists and things like that, so we're, we're obviously talking to TFC about that kind of stuff. Um, there's lots of opportunities that we see and we try and push that further. Um, and and same, same idea with relocation, we try and anybody who gives up a seat in, in a claim section that front office accepts and, and grants us, we try and work out a, a loose way of making sure that our members get seating. And that also opens up seating for other people too, right? Because maybe they're relocating from another part of the section or whatever to get into that section to strengthen the voice, and then it goes back into the pool on the other end. So we're looking at ways to to make all this happen within the, the, the framework that Toronto see, and they seem to be pretty good at accepting new ideas too, you know. And that was evident with the with the pirate, with the smoke bombs and whatnot very controlled and it's very very much directed in how they ask us to disperse it but we have it and it's group controlled if we want to drop a smoke bomb we can drop a smoke bomb it's nobody saying that it's only after this condition is met you know the only thing we have to look out for is wind and, and environmental conditions that Were
0: way you guys jealous when in that friendly they got delighted they lit
1: off those flares well I know I know that most like majority of our members flares probably goes beyond that a little bit in terms of the safety but yeah I know football supporters it's always about that intimidation it's always about creating that atmosphere and yeah (laughs) kind of have to smile right Um, you know what I think
0: we've we've cranked out a pretty dude that was this is a long podcast (laughs) this is a long podcast so we're gonna we'll wrap this up Phil I really appreciate you meeting with me and you know like you said you guys are accessible and this is why this happened i think we are too and i wanted to say that like yeah it's always open i've never done this podcast acting like we're experts in any field it's it's really just observations and discussions so that if someone's listening to it and they say this is off base then tweet us and say it's off base and discussion is there email us off base or on the podcast and we can exactly. discuss it it's awesome like that and it is. it's, uh, it's really been a long time out. we haven't i haven't it was probably what was like an umbro night it was probably the yeah. only, one the last time i
1: saw you which was like
0: four years three or four it was years a
1: while ago, ago since umbro has been doing stuff that yeah. at least that i've gotten invites to yeah
0: yeah <laughs> so uh, i'm glad we got to connect on this and uh you know put out this podcast because i think it's it's good to change it up and do something different and, and get the perspective
1: of from the supporter side and stuff. your work is really valuable and and if anything, it brings a highlight to show our members. You know, maybe it's a good opportunity to, to take a listen to a different point of view, an accessible point of view. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you hosted us on here to, to have the ability to uh, convey some of our messaging. So that's fantastic. And
0: everyone can find you, obviously. We've mentioned it's Red Patch Boys. So, yeah. uh, you know, throw out anything. You know, you're at Rooney. RPB, is yeah, that, is that yeah your RPB, RPB Rooney or something RPB like that. That was like my old
1: board name. So I'm like,
0: now I'm Put just on film. Twitter. Yeah, yeah, on Put Twitter. On Twitter yeah. Uh, and then of course it's it's Red Patch Boys and yep. it, let's say if anyone wants to get in touch with the supporters
1: group or become a part of the supporters group, oh, just go to RedPatchBoys.ca. Check out the forum; it's free. Um, there's no pressure to join or anything like that. Just come and discuss footy if you want to, and uh, let us know what you're talking about in footy, whether it be. R and O or whatever, like like we are accepting of all the different types of, of media out there, and we want we just want like minds of about football support to get together and just talk about the game and our team.
0: Right on. Okay, so next game Saturday, August twenty third against Chicago. It's a big one. It's a big one. We got to get it, three points. It's another, not, nothing less. Big game. Nothing less. Uh, so we're hoping for big things. Hoping for a good day. C and on. It should be. A, it should be. The atmosphere should be it's gonna there. Be fun. So we'll see what happens, Phil. Again, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, uh, and everyone, thanks for listening, for hanging on for almost almost an hour, and thanks for sticking around for now. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Eastside Stand Up is the only Toronto-specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at Red Nation Online or on email at info at rednationonline.ca and share your thoughts on how the Reds did on the pitch today. As well, check out other podcasts on rednationonline.ca from the Black Hole and the Gaffer and Hooligan, giving you all the coverage you want on Canadian soccer. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.